0: episode 90 how are you doing how you doing hope you're doing well hope you're healthy for this one brand new here we go we're gonna go into the world of journalism not described by me oh no no i decided it was time to bring on my editor-in-chief for the novato swarm that's the high school newspaper that i've been lucky enough to help create and guide and advise and watch develop and flourish at times and rise and fall, and rise and fall, and rise and fall. Just like any newspaper. Good moments, bad moments, triumphs and struggles. But the story I want to tell today is definitely one of the positives. And that's the editor-in-chief, a senior named Ava Francis Hall, who I met when she was a freshman four years ago when we started the newspaper. I just had a bunch of students in all the grades, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, Sign up for the class, not knowing what it was. I didn't really know what it was. The principals at the time basically said, hey, you got a background in broadcast journalism? Uh, Start the class. No textbook. You don't have to give tests. Nothing really standardized. Just start that class, which is exactly the type of freedom you want. So the class certainly evolved quite a bit once I learned what they were capable of, what they wanted to do, what we were capable of as a school, how funding works, how grants are written, what space we would use, what resources we would have. A lot went into it, but it's worth the headache. That's what I have realized about journalism. It is a headache. It's always going to be a headache because you're going to fight the students. You're going to fight the administration. You're going to fight the power. But you teach the kids how to fight too and find the truth and all the many cliches that go along with journalism. You try to instill these values. Care about something. That's what I tell them. Don't worry about the grade. Don't just be in here for an A or because you like Rosenberg. Yeah, you like the guy, right? Come on. But if you care, if you're doing something that you feel is worthy of your time and significant, it'll come across in your writing. And of course, you'll be an A journalist, top notch. So one of those students understood exactly what it took at a young age, 14 years old, probably one of the most mature kids in the whole class. And I'd have seniors submitting articles. And when I was looking at, all right, what are the ones getting published in our newspaper? Usually Ava's articles would rise to the top and get on the front page, not just because she was a pretty good writer, but because there was a soul to her stories. Covered a lot of heavy topics, things that mattered, and stayed with it. That's what you want as a teacher, to see that growth. And I figured, all right, it's Ava's senior year. We're going to have a big, final newspaper. No, not the case. Quarantine, shelter in place, nobody's on campus. We're not going to publish another hard copy this year, obviously. We still have the website going. But I asked Ava, all right, we're done here. So, for the farewell, I always thought it'd be a big old in class pizza party with donuts, confetti, fireworks, but instead, how about coming on my podcast? And she said, sure. Plus, I figured this is where my head is at. I mean, when we think about COVID 19, of course, you think about the vaccine, the testing, the treatments, the politics, the science, the suffering. But really, in my world, I think about the students right now that are missing out on a lot of important moments, especially the seniors who will not have a graduation ceremony in June. They will not have a prom. They will not have a senior breakfast. There will not be yearbook signing. No hugs, no goodbyes. And I could try to capture that, but why not just leave it to Ava, who's been able to capture a lot of things through her writing over the last four years. So here is my conversation with the Swarm Editor-in-Chief, Ava Francis Hall. Uh, Let's say... For four years, if we put out six issues every year, you've written at least 24 articles and maybe more because you've obviously worked uh, beyond what has been asked of you. But now you're on the other side of it. Usually you're conducting the interviews as the reporter. So on the other side of it, being the interviewee, does it sound like a challenge? What's the easier role? Is it to be the one asking the questions or where you are right now for the first time answering the questions?
1: I think it's a lot easier to be asking the questions because you're the one guiding the conversation and you're more in control. And honestly, it's just what I'm used to. But this is fun. This is a fun new experience. So I'm excited.
0: Does it give you a little empathy for all the people you've talked to in the past where they go, what do you want to know? What are you writing about? What's the point of your story where a lot of them are kind of, how do I say, cautious of how they're going to come across? Are you worried at all? Like, what's this podcast going to be about? What are you trying to get from me?
1: I mean, I'm not specifically worried about this podcast because I know you, and like, I feel like I have a good idea of the questions you're gonna ask. But I definitely see how I mean, especially for the Hornets react quote, just like going up to a random person, how that can be really scary for them because that that's gonna that quote is gonna be distributed all throughout the
0: school. Yeah, for sure.
1: I'm I'm so happy I've never been on the other side of that.
0: (laughs) Now, I think about the four years of the swarm. You were the only freshman in the class four years ago when we started this newspaper. And I was seeing you progress and become like this leader in the class. So I was so bummed when we got the email that, Campus was going to be closed for the rest of the year. And not to be so nearsighted, I know people are really struggling and suffering right now, but where I feel the heaviest, the impact of COVID-19 is my students. And I know that a lot of them are so bummed out right now. And I asked you this before on a scale of 1 to 10. Like 1 is I'm fine, I'm all good. 10 is I'm really down in the dumps right now. Um, You said a 7, but where are you right now? 10 is like the worst you could feel about not having all of these senior milestones you were looking forward to
1: um probably hmm yeah I'm I would say still out of seven um but it's been weird because I've been going back to the school you know to like clean out my locker and then I just picked up my stats shirt from this year today and that was a weird experience and that made me a little bit sadder but then I also the promise of college is making me happier and when I was at school I still felt like every time i walked walk through campus I felt a always say to my brother, like, I feel like a child here. Like, I feel like my actions are so controlled and limited and I can't wait to get out. And then I did get out. So I don't want to sound like too, I guess, hypocritical. Cause I did want to get out and then I got out, but so it's, it's a weird, like college is making me happy, but then going back to school and seeing the empty classrooms and just like the empty hallways is making me well, kind of sad.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'll bet. So you're adapting to this. Like a lot of us at first, it was such a shock to the system. All this time at home, but do you find yourself just becoming adjusted to the new norm?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have started taking every positive in quarantine, like in the context of our situation. So if I have like a planned FaceTime call with someone or a car meetup or I'm doing a Netflix party thing with someone, that carries as much happiness for me as hanging out with people did before. And viewing it through that lens instead of, oh my God, like I have to Netflix party this instead of actually (laughs) going to movies with my friends, like this sucks. Like having that mentality during the first month of quarantine was really detrimental, I think, to my mental health. And so then I just switched and it's made me a lot happier and a lot more appreciative of what's like the opportunities I do have with friends, even though they are limited.
0: Yeah. Well, explain that because that's what I was curious about. Our students just indoors, you know, upset, depressed. And you're saying, no, there's Netflix, There's car meetups. Describe a little bit about how you've had to do the new style of socializing.
1: Yeah. Car meetups have been a big one. Uh, And those have been really fun just to like see people that actually have bodies um, and hearing their real voice and not having a lag there or anything.
0: Do you actually stay Um, in the car?
1: Yeah. You just all park in a big
0: circle. Really? Mm -hmm. How tempting is it though just to get up and say, fuck it all. Let's hug. You have to really like stay true to the shelter in place.
1: Yeah, that has happened, but then I feel really guilty afterwards. And so (laughs) then we all collectively agree. We're like, that's not going to happen again. trying to think, yeah, FaceTime calls have been another way of adapting.
0: What's Um, a Netflix party? It's,
1: so it's this Chrome extension where you send a link to someone and then you can watch the show. And then on the side, there's a little, like a text bar and then you can just text, on that little bar and it'll show up and you can just have kind of like live reactions to the show that you're watching.
0: So your generation was already on your screens a lot. Uh, not to say yeah. you're not going to have a tough time with this quarantine, but really you guys are finding ways, which is good to hear. What do you envision your graduation day looking like? Clearly you won't be tossing that cap in the air. But when I think back to my graduation, that was like an official goodbye because you don't get that. It'll still be a day on your calendar. What's it going to look like?
1: So are you talking about like the August date or what should have been June 14th? Ah,
0: yes. June, June Oh, when you're really done with it.
1: Probably. I'm probably going to try to set up a zoom call with all of my school friends, either that, or just have a giant car meetup. Probably that just see, p- see people in, pe- in person. Um, it's going to be really bittersweet, but I'm, I'm just sad. I never got to say goodbye to everyone, you know, like only select few people
0: going back to March 13th and that's the last issue we put out of the swarm what are your memories I know it wasn't sentimental because you didn't realize that would be your last day of high school but what do you remember vividly like what will stand out to you as your final day Um,
1: well I kind of approached that Friday as the final day just because I was thinking like okay Tam shut down and we're probably going to shut down and I don't see how a pandemic could get better like it's only going to get worse so it doesn't make sense that we'd come back to school like I was still hopeful but what do I remember? I remember passing out the swarm and then just sitting under the tree in that lawn and the like the social studies lawn. Um, and then everybody from the gov class just kind of flocked over and it was like all my friends and I just sitting underneath the tree in the shade, just reading the swarm and just having some laughs and talks. And that's how pretty much the last day of school has gone for me for the past three years, like just sitting under that tree. Um And just talking with my friends. So it felt kind of weird. It kind of felt like a sign like this was the last day. Wow! So, of course, that's not how I wanted. Like, I didn't want that to be my last day, but it it kind of felt like it. And I'm glad it wasn't just like the normal days where I just try to get out of school as quickly as possible after the bell rings.
0: It was such a weird day. And I think you're right. We had a hunch that it's going to be more than two weeks. You don't just say goodbye to a pandemic in a few weeks and come back to campus. I don't even know what August is going to look like when you're in college, but that's another topic. So you think about your progress at this high school. When we started the newspaper, I only had one freshman in the class. And what we realized, I think the editors back then when we were kind of slotting, which story should go where is this Ava kid is writing really quality, important pieces. So I think it got, it became natural to start putting your stuff on the front page. And every time you would submit a story, I just knew that it was going to have a voice. Like you have the soul of an activist. But what initially drew you? Towards journalism, just towards having a platform for your voice.
1: It was actually, um, so I applied for creative writing, and then I got on the wait list, and I was like, what is the next best thing? (laughs) And so I chose journalism, and it was such a blessing in disguise. I'm so overjoyed that I got rejected from creative writing, because I think journalism was the one true passion all along. Um, So yeah, and then I just, I stuck with it, because I enjoyed it so much.
0: How did you get rejected Someone actually, someone actually looked at your writing and said no. I find that tough to believe.
1: I think it's because I handwrote everything, and my handwriting is bad. That's what I tell myself. The writing might have actually just not been the best. Yeah, but um, I've noticed. You know, I'm okay. It's I'm glad it happened because it led me to journalism. So everything happens for a reason, I guess.
0: Me too. No, I'm thrilled. So if you got accepted into creative writing, I would have never had you, met you, or had an editor like you.
1: You, you might have had me. You probably would have had me senior year. Then I would have had the ability to take more classes, but Not good yeah, enough. it would have been totally
0: different. Not good enough. We got a, a lot of Ava. I think you're one of the pioneers of the whole paper, and your writing is fearless, but your personality, I think you would admit, kind of reserved, kind of shy. Did you feel empowered knowing that you had this forum that wasn't social media, but it was like real organized, what I like to call it is professional journalism? Even though you guys are student reporters, I feel like there's nothing that separates you from a pro. Did you start to have some of your personality come out in your writing? Is that what I got to see?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, especially freshman year, I was I entered really shy. And then just having the ability to have an excuse to talk to people I wouldn't normally talk to really broke some boundaries for me. Like, I actually made one of my really good friends because I interviewed her for a fashion article, Monica Singh. I don't know if you know her, but um, I interviewed her, and then we just hit it off. Um, so that was a great opportunity and just like, yeah, it was, it was awesome to have a different forum to kind of broadcast not only my opinions, but just the opinions of my peers. Cause with every journalism story, I mean, especially this year, I focused on broadcasting an issue that I felt needed more attention because Mm -hmm. um, the people who had affected, like they were underrepresented uh, in their voices and how society was dealing with their problem. Um, So that was really empowering Yeah.
0: You know what I found? And I know I've said this to you guys a bunch is that the students that care the most are going to be the best journalists. It's not the best writers. A lot of the time I have Mm -hmm. kids who come into the class and they think they're the best writers. But what they submit, it's not great journalism. You actually have to care about what you're writing. And you seem to pick up on that. I look back at some of your articles. You wrote about Trump's election, gun control, bullying. You wrote about school funding. You've written about abusive relationships. You remember all that? That we went mm-hmm. through trying to get that story out, and like you just mentioned, uh, how broadcasting has evolved. Do any of these stand out? Like, if you take a look at these articles in ten years, do you think one of them is going to stand out that you're really proud of?
1: Um, I think the the article about sexual assault when we were dealing dealing with the Student Press Law Center that one just really stands out. I think it's not exactly. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't work the hardest to write it like actually write it but it was just the process of trying to get it out and like constructing it was the most effort i've put into any article ever and i think it just it showed me a lot about how the world works and also what my value system is too because it was really difficult to like kind of compromise i guess yeah yeah um but in the end i'm glad i did obviously
0: wow you're jogging my memory do you remember how weird that meeting was with the principal we were sitting in there it felt awkward. I was in there, too. And I was learning. Yeah. I'm learning about life lessons through the class and just like what we're allowed to publish. We always check in with, you know, a team of lawyers or administrators. But that meeting, I could tell you and I are both like, this is just weird.
1: Yeah. A lot of how can, <laughs> how specific can I get?
0: Well, we you could get very specific because we as journalists want to fight to publish the truth. But there are mm-hmm. people fighting back, and you know I'm on the fence sometimes because I work at the school, but I also have to have your backs. So it is—it's like a real exciting class in that sense where there's conflict at all times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just—I remember so. Yeah, the the meeting with the principal was really, really awkward. I felt like it, he was very dismissive. Very. Um, and that wasn't that was the a great feeling. It's kind of what I expected, I guess. And then the me, the meeting with the uh, vice principal when. <laughs> It was like, she took a very like, this is your personal problem and you're bringing it to me and like, I shouldn't have to deal with this. Like that was just disheartening. So I was like, no, you're totally not understanding why I'm here. I'm just trying to help these victims out whose voices obviously aren't being heard and they're being dismissed. And I feel like the only way that they can brought into the light is through other people finding out about it instead of just this whole thing circulating on social media
0: yeah you were trying to expose something which is so important now that's interesting where my blood starts to boil too, we get all emotional and we're drawn towards the controversy it's part of journalism and i try to tell my students that is something you don't want to shy away from like we're not just promoting the school we're not just trying to write stories to make people smile but knowing that it helps you develop thick skin so i I truly feel like you know how old are you 18? I'm 17, 17. But I feel like you kind of mature a little bit in journalism because you have to speak to adults. You have to study what's right, what's wrong, what's legal. And then once you know your rights, then you go to the keyboard and you get the freedom to publish what you know is right.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely a big moment of growth. Uh, just In my experience, talking to adults and simultaneously challenging what they're saying and also being respectful at the same time and that's really taught me how to talk to adults in other um, realms of my life too which has been incredibly useful
0: you know one thing we have not been good at and it's not my fault it's not your fault but I just feel like our social media uh, it doesn't reach that many people because I know the power of social media today is where a lot of teens eyeballs are but what do you think the role of social media is for teens because I know you're not an addict we never really treated the newspaper that way maybe we should have we were kind of a vintage hard copy newspaper with a website. But when you look around people your age, what is the role Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all of this plays in their reality and how it shapes their scope?
1: Um, I think it it's it creates, a, well, especially Instagram, creates a facade. And that's the main role of Instagram is just building up your life and then showing it to other strangers. And it's just trying to impress people also showing a certain aspect of your personality that you're super proud of i guess and you've built up so that can be kind of harmful but it's also a good way to see um what others lives are like in kind of a new light i guess um i'm just trying to think in
0: general do you shy away from it on purpose or do you sometimes feel yourself getting consumed with it
1: no i I definitely get consumed with it um i mean especially now because i can't talk to people in person. But it's really easy to be consumed with it because it's so much easier than talking in person in a certain way. Um, But I mean, I do value like face to face connections so much more than
0: social media ones. Good. Can you see how somebody like me, I'm 20 years older than you looks at it and says it makes high school more difficult, like where I could say I'm happy we didn't have Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff when I was in high school. Does that make sense to you when someone my age says that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially uh, with Instagram, just seeing the best moments of someone's life. Or you see a bunch of like a friend group hanging out and then you're like, wait, why don't I have that? Or like, why am I not part of that? Why am I not going to these things all these other people are going to? And you just if it's if it's overwhelming, like it's the only thing on your page, and you're scrolling for hours a day, um, then it can start to take its toll on your mental health. And Yeah, I just I think it's a vicious cycle. And yeah, I think, especially like in the past, when they didn't have Instagram or Snapchat or any of that, um, face to face conversations are probably valued a lot more. Good. They were A lot more usual. Yeah,
0: maybe that'll be one of the silver linings of the coronavirus is that we do go back to appreciating some face to face interaction when we're finally allowed to Mm -hmm. do so. You know, you covered a lot of that, even though you were living your articles, you did cover mental health, you covered, you know, the fear of Shooters on campus we covered so much, uh, but it was almost embedded journalism because you were living it So 20 years Mm -hmm. from now, you'll be about 37 38. I know it's a weird premise for a question But what does life look like for Ava? Are you still gonna be writing? Do you think journalism still plays a role in your life? What's the path now that you're leaving high school?
1: Um, I mean, I've always Loved writing. It's always been something. I'm naturally really good at and I really enjoy but I think, and when I'm 37, the dream is to be living in New York City. Um, and probably what what my plan is is that I graduate law school, and then I work at various law firms in New York City. And then I have enough money and I have enough connections, I can open up a nonprofit law firm uh, that serves people of color and minorities, LGBTQ people who may not afford to get. Like you can't afford to get the legal help that they need. And we could provide quality legal help. Wow. And it wouldn't be that like in New York city, I think there's a lot of nonprofits like that. So I don't think it would be too hard to kind of like follow in their footsteps. But I, at the same time, I do want to continue writing. So that might look like writing a book possibly and trying to get it published. But um, if I could, I journalism has been such a huge part of my life for the last four years. And that's never like I'm never going to turn journalism down if that does become a career uh, opportunity for me.
0: Nice. Yeah, you having success would be the least surprising outcome because you're going to do something that matters. And I know even for some of my listeners right now, hearing Ava Francis Hall, I get to say, remember that name. Remember that name. Ava's about to do something. All right, I'll let you go in a moment, but what do you think you'll miss most? Not just about the swarm, but just high school altogether. These days, I have to speak in a tone like it is done. I know we're still doing distance learning, but it kind of feels done to me in many ways. What do you think you will miss most about this whole idea of coming onto campus with your friends and all these milestone moments?
1: I think I, I'll i just miss, it's more of a feeling of just like, there's some, wait, can I swear?
0: <laughs> you better.
1: There's some like stupid shit that goes on in high school and it's just so funny. You know what I mean? Like that could never happen anywhere else it's just so good and it's like just in the moment and people are just so like naturally funny but it's not just individual individual people just like the atmosphere that high school creates that allows people to like learn how to I guess like learn how to be who they want to be and in conjunction with just like I don't even know everybody else trying to do that there's just some naturally really funny moments that happen in heartwarming moments and (laughs) I just, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be the same thing in college or any time else in my life. I feel like that only takes place in high school, like that type of high school humor and those types of high school moments. That's kind of general, but I'm just going to miss.
0: You'll miss the stupid shit. You're saying you're going to miss the stupid (laughs) shit. I like that. Instead of I'm so over it, you know that this is a juvenile part of your life that you are going to miss. That's funny. Yeah, you're right. Now you're just going to be surrounded with more people growing and growing and maturing. I mean, there'll still Mm be some foolishness in your future, but you're right, you're not going to be surrounded with that mindset anymore of a lot of people making a bunch of mistakes. And I know that's not a great way to sum up high school, but you're right. There, There is a lot of stupid shit that I could see you yeah. missing. <laughs> you think you'll go to reunions exactly. every 10 years? Um, you guys better, especially I, your class. I'm planning
1: on it. Yeah, I mean, especially like in the next, yeah, the one that's in 10 years. I will definitely go and say hi to everyone. Nice. See who's in jail, see who's pregnant, see see what happened.
0: Exactly. Hopefully not you. Hopefully. I mean, if you're pregnant, that's fine, but no jail time for Ava. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Ava, this is a great platform for me to also just tell you how much you meant to the school paper and my experience as a teacher. So thank you for these great memories. I appreciate all of it. And I'm genuinely wishing you the best.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Same to you. I am going to miss the swarm so much. Probably the number one thing I will miss about Nevada high. Um, I can't believe it's
0: over. Yeah, we'll put a statue of you in front of the newsroom. Why not? We have four years worth of reporters. I think you've been rising to the top, certainly on the Mount Rushmore. All right, Ava, I'll talk to you soon. All
1: right, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: All right, I hope that was interesting for some of you. And like I said, remember that name. She'll be a success, just like a lot of these students I'm fortunate enough to meet. All right, here's how I will end this episode. Episode 90 is going to end with Ava's words. She wrote a lot of... Interesting articles, but one of them was personal, and we titled it Hearticle, H-E-A-R-T-I-C-L-E, because Ava had a heart condition. She had to miss my class for, I think, a week or two, and when she described why she had to have heart surgery, a procedure done that was incredibly scary, of course, I said, how about writing about it? And she said, yup. So here's an article of Ava's from 2017, January 2017. I'm going to read this. This will be a little book on tape, a little audio for you. And this is Ava's writing. So if you've heard enough, that's fine. But if you want to stick around, I'm going to read the true story of what Ava endured years ago. January 19th, 2017. I woke up in a brightly lit room on a hospital bed with my parents' concerned faces hovering over me. I had superventricular tachycardia, SVT, which in simple terms meant I had an irregular heartbeat that affected my physical activity. Imagine running around a track when suddenly your heart is increasing to 200 beats per minute, your vision becomes cloudy with a black filter, and your back aches. This is what I felt when I exercised, and it began to scare me as it happened more often. I soon visited CPMC Hospital in San Francisco, where they diagnosed me with SVT. The incidence of SVT is approximately 35 cases per 100,000 patients. I didn't know what to expect from this diagnosis. My doctor, Dr. Serena Behera, Told me I could either go on medication or have the procedure right away. I was apprehensive about the procedure, so I opted to go on the medication instead. I was on the medication for about a year, and my symptoms did not lessen. In fact, they stayed the same. It came to a point where I realized I needed to have the procedure or risk my heart health and my freedom to exercise. It was the fall of 2016, and I was hustling on the volleyball court during my freshman season. I was a setter, which meant that I was involved in every single point to set up the spike. We were in the final points of a game against a team I don't remember. Tensions were high, but the expectations higher. We needed to win the game. I remember the moment so clearly, like a knife carved it into my memory. I was in the middle of a play when my heart started beating, and beating, and beating so fast like the wings of a bird flapping in the sky. The words of my doctor echoed in my head as the play moved in slow motion around me. An internal battle took place. I needed to be safe, but I knew that it would be incredibly detrimental to exit the court at this pivotal moment. My inner turmoil was decidedly abandoned, and I chose to follow through on the guidance of my doctor. I had signaled to my coach that I needed to be subbed out, and I defeatedly slumped over to the sidelines. The faces of my concerned teammates made me feel worse. I didn't have the energy to explain my condition, so I pointed to my heart and sunk in the chair beneath me. Every accelerated beat that pumped in my chest made me increasingly nervous that I was one beat closer to passing out. This episode was the most prolonged I had ever had. Following the scare, I knew I needed to take one step further than my medication. I needed to get the procedure done. I had an EKG performed, followed by an ultrasound. Dr. Bahara concluded that I had SVT, and she located the extra pathway that was causing the problem in my heart. She warned me, however, that if I had Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, a disorder that was hard to detect, there was an increased chance that I would not survive through the procedure. I wasn't worried about living through the surgery, as the doctor gave me a 99% reassurance I would wake up, this new piece of information was unnerving yet I was determined to have a normal heartbeat. The day before the surgery my parents drove us all the way through the wind and rain to Stanford's Children's Hospital in Palo Alto. I was born in that hospital and the dramatic little voice inside my head said this could be where you die too. Once we checked into Stanford my fears were tamed. We met with the anesthesiologist and the surgeon who would be with me during the procedure. While they repeated most of the information already told to me by my San Francisco doctor, the surgeon caught me by surprise when he said there was a possibility a defibrillator could be used. I left rattled, but mostly anxious about the following day's events. The next day I woke up and put on a pair of sweats and an old t-shirt. The previous day I'd gotten my eyebrows done because when I was operated on, I had to look fabulous, damn it. We arrived at the hospital and were led to a hospital bed. The hospital room was a grayish color lined with beds on the perimeters of the room. I didn't know what to expect. I changed into a hospital gown and laid on the bed for a period of 15 minutes that could have been five hours if my mom hadn't been nervously announcing the time. Two nurses came over for the final stages of preparation. They inserted an IV into my inner arm after multiple painful tries of sticking it into my hand. Then came the sedative. I felt it immediately coursing through my veins and into my brain. I started giggling uncontrollably as they whisked me away to the procedure room. I felt as if I was floating on a cloud. I arrived in the brightly lit room full of large people and masks. A doctor came up to me and asked me what my favorite song was. I replied with a slurred multi-love by Unknown Mortal Orchestra. And soon my favorite song was blasting through the room. I felt so genuinely happy as I closed my eyes. Maybe it was the sedative. It was definitely the sedative. I woke up to find my parents hovering over me. Took about 10 seconds to remember where I was. And as I sat up, the blood rushed to my head. The nurse hurried over and told me to lay back. It would be an hour or so before I could walk. Once I laid back and calmed down, a severe pain shot through my left eye. I closed and scrunched my eyes together, hoping the pain would dissipate but it remained persistent no matter how I positioned myself. The nurse told me that they didn't fully tape my left eye, and so a millimeter of my eyeball had sat partially open for my four-hour procedure. Ouch. After four of the most uncomfortable and painful hours of my life, I left through the sliding hospital doors with an upgraded heart and a tiny bottle of eye medication. The next day, as I rolled up to my home and parked in the driveway, the feeling of absolute peace of mind settled within me. Hearticle by Ava Francis Hall Now that's some good writing. All right, episode 90 is in the books. I'll talk to you soon.